Holy moly. I just finished the best conversation with my guest, Delia Lloyd. She is a American born relocated when her kids were two and five with her husband to London. He was teaching economics and she has a very varied career. She did four different career moves. Her latest, she branched out on her own and created her own business doing what she loves. And it took her pretty much her whole life to figure out what that was, which is why I love her story. I didn't know that when I first connected with her. I read an article that she had written that resonated with me deeply. And so I reached out to her and it just turned out that she had also the perfect credentials, if you even need credentials to be on my podcast. I mean, I just look for interesting people, but she is over 50 and she had a big pivot to what she does now when she was 52. And she's happier than she's ever been. She's thriving. She is living her sparked second half. And of course, I would love to introduce you to her. And we talk in this episode about the article she wrote, which touches on a story. She starts with a story about a reunion she went to, her 30th high school reunion, and a conversation that led to an awakening of sorts. And so this led her onto the path, essentially, that she's on now. And I had a big, huge shift and pivot after my 30th reunion. So I was like, oh my gosh, that is so interesting. It's because we're at that age. We're about to hit 50 and we're wondering, is this all there is? Is there more to life than what I'm doing? Am I even on the right path? Am I doing what I do best? Am I doing what I love? Sometimes those two things don't always align. Sometimes what you love might be something you need to learn a new skill at or better a skill. And sometimes you're, what you're doing is something you do good, but maybe just something that somebody else wanted you to do maybe, or something that you just keep doing because you're good at it, but it's not really what's pulling you or tugging at you at the moment. And maybe it's something that you haven't ever thought about or that you've been afraid to think about. But regardless, if that's you and you are thinking that what your life is right now, although maybe it's fine, but fine is not fantastic. And you want fantastic and you're allowed to have fantastic and you deserve fantastic. So go for fantastic and let this conversation that I had with Delia inspire you to find the fantastic. Welcome to another episode of Living Your Sparked Second Half. I have with me today a special guest, 
Delia Lloyd. And I don't know what it is about me lately, but I've been finding people and I don't know. It's just like, I don't random. The universe sends random things. And lately it's been people who are American born, but live abroad. And so you are one of them. Welcome. Thank you. Delighted to be here. Yes. And Delia, and I love it. What's your website? Real Delia. Real Delia. Realdelia.com. And so I love it because it's like she's the real deal. <laughs> she's the real Delia. So that was a really cute play. I uh, love play on words. So yes, but I met her because she wrote an article and I love connecting with people who write articles that resonate with me. And she wrote an article about goals and how one of our problems, and it's not everyone, it's just some of us, but it really hit me home, hit home with me because I do this, set too many goals. And then we get overwhelmed and chances are we don't do any of them. They just stay there in the, you know, I would like to do this, but I'm too overwhelmed with all the things. So I loved her article. I reached out to her and she was willing to come on. So yes. And then I know we're going to have so many things to talk about. The reason you fit so well with who I like to have on the podcast is because, as you said, while we were talking before I hit record, is it took you 30 years to figure out what really you loved doing and were brave enough, I think because there is courage in this. And I want to know more about yours, but to start your own business that was designed for you. I think it takes us a while to find out what it is that we really want to do because we fall into what we should do or are good at. And then also to like, okay, I'm going to do this, but if there's no job you can apply for, how do you create it? So why don't we start by sharing a little bit about Delia and who you are. If you don't mind saying your age, you don't have to do that. But yeah, I like it so that someone who's listening can really feel like they're on the same page as us. Lovely. Well, thanks so much for having me, Lori. I think we are truly kindred souls. So I have a blog, which is also called Real Delia. And the subtitle is Finding Yourself in Adulthood. And I feel that that is very much the ethos and spirit of what you do here on this podcast, which I adore. Who am I? I mean, I'll, I'll give you a, the Reader's Digest version. I am currently, by day, a communication consultant. And people often think that means I do PR. That's not what I do. I uh, essentially help people write, speak, and lead more effectively. And I do that through two things. I give a lot of workshops, loads and loads of workshops on all different kinds of speaking and writing and leadership skills, all within the rubric of communication for the most part. And then I also do a lot of one-to-one coaching. So someone wants to give us a talk or they want to improve their speaking skills or they want to write a book, I help them. And I must say I'm 58 and I started this business six years ago, just about, and I am having a ball. I absolutely love it. And it's the first time in my life after 30 years of having lots of great jobs, but not the right one, that I actually feel like I am the real Delia. I am authentically me and having fun and doing what I was meant to do. It does take a while. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Such a great age for a major pivot. And I find that happens with a lot of people. Where were you? You're a mom of two 
kids who mm-hmm. are, you said, grown for the most part, one's still in university and, and one's out. So congratulations on that, because the real launch is after they graduate oh, from, yes. and, and oh, have yes. a job that pays them. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. So congratulations on that. So where were you in relation to being a parent and electing and finding the courage? Did you feel it took courage to do something brand new? Did you quit a job and then start this? Or It did take courage the first time I did it, but this was the third. So it took less courage because having done it before, and that's something else I think is worth pointing out, that it's not just one pivot we have in life, especially when we're all living to be 100 or whatever we're doing now. It can be several. I had three big pivots. I started my career as an academic when I was young, so I was a professor. Then I had a pivot to journalism. Then I had a pivot into the nonprofit world. And then I pivoted. So maybe it's my fourth into my business. Now, though, if I could draw a line for you and tell you how each of there was a sort of logical progression and they're linked. But really what I did was sort of grab stuff from different places. But to answer this question, where was I in my early 50s? My kids were still in what Americans would call middle school and high school. And it was just time. I had left my job at the BBC, which is a very, you know, if you live in the UK, it's wonderful to work for the BBC for all kinds of reasons, very, but it's a wonderful place to work and it's very recognized. But I was ready for something else and I wasn't sure what it was. And I had enough, I had enough severance pay to spend a year figuring things out. And I was incredibly lucky. Not all of us have that. Now, it wasn't a lot of money, but I made it last. And I just spent a lot of time, even though the kids were in high school and middle school, and we needed to pay the bills, I just thought, I'm going to give myself a year. And speaking of goals, sometimes when you set a deadline and you just say, if by the end of this year, I I don't have the job I want or haven't created it, I I said to myself, I'll just go get a job. Meaning I knew I was marketable, but I was looking for something more fulfilling. And I think in the second half of life, and you know this better than I do, that's when you really start to seek fulfillment. So that's what I did. Yeah. 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 So can you talk about the article that I read? Because I went back and read it as I was preparing to talk to you. And I think it was even more powerful the second time I read it. Because when you tell a story that has a message and your story was so profound, and I think so many of us can find ourselves in that situation. You know, I've been to reunions. I meet up with my girlfriends In fact, I think the next time I meet up with them, we're supposed to meet up later this spring. I'm going to ask the questions like, what's your goal or what are your goals? And see what each person says, because what you shared in that article was how different everybody is, whereas you and I are very similar. And I think someone listening is probably like us, where too many goals and when we get overwhelmed, then some people might be like, who you wrote about in the article, which is different, different approach to goals. So could you share those stories and just let's talk about that and then your message about you that, and again, I think many of us, especially moms, retired moms have because we managed kids. And so we fall into this habit and it translates into how we goal set too. And I think it's a good time too, because it's nearing March and 
people might have set too many New Year's resolutions and they haven't gotten anywhere and they're three, almost, well, two months in. So yeah, so share that story. I'd love for the listeners to hear it. Thanks. Well, the story comes, it was my 30th reunion. So it was about, I just did my 35th. So I guess it was five and a half years ago, almost six now. And I have a very tight friend, group of friends from college. We always go to the reunion every five years. We see each other in between, but I live over here. So not as much. But anyway, we'd had a few drinks as one does at a reunion and it was a whole weekend. So at one of the nights in the weekend, not the reunion dance, whatever was going on, We were just sitting up late chatting, about five or six of us. And somebody said, we were joking because he used to be a consultant, so it's all flip charts and markers and post-its. He said, uh, I've got an idea. Why don't we all talk about where we'd like to be at our next five-year reunion? Everybody pick a goal, which kind of came out of nowhere, but it was fun. And people went around the room and he works in LA. So his was a creative project that he wanted to get off the ground. Somebody else was having some marital trouble and hers was more personal about wanted to have her marriage over within five years, which as we all know, is it's not an easy thing. You don't, that doesn't happen overnight. Somebody else was having a lot of personal and professional turmoil. And she just said, I'm not setting goals right now. I'm taking life day to day. Another person couldn't think of one, which astounded me because for me, oh my gosh, what are you talking about? I wake up every day with 95 goals. And then she finally, she's very athletic. And she finally said, I I don't know, maybe get better at CrossFit, which is great, actually. You know, just she picked one thing. And I had so many, it was embarrassing. I literally just started rattling them off, personal, professional, physical, emotional, psychological. I mean, I couldn't stop. And it was kind of funny. And did and you forget the, the directions? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Set a goal. Well, let me tell you. Overachiever. So, yeah, overachiever. I think what it what was interesting about it, and it was a teachable moment for me. They all know me, so they expected me to do that. But I initially was really proud of myself, sort of the way we are. Like, aren't I great? I've got so many goals. She doesn't even have one. She couldn't even come up with one. And then actually I stood back from that and thought. I know what's wrong with me. Not so much. Why do I have so many? Why do I need so many? What are my goals doing for me? And part of it is the practical side, which you referenced, which was if you set too many, you're really achieving none. That's definitely true. And I'm forever winnowing down every year. I winnow further or try to. But actually, I think what I realized in that blog or what I reflected in in that blog was the realization that I just can't. I'm terrified of not being busy. And there was a sort of, there's just a deep terror of what happens when you slow down. I don't want to overstate it. It's not, it's not death, but it's a fear of, it's a like of death fear. And that for me, the only way to feel vital, to feel alive is to just keep setting goals. Now, of course, you and I know that's not terrible. There's some people just don't do anything with their lives, but Why did I compulsively need to keep setting goals? And that's what it got me thinking about and got me reflecting on. Yeah, that's very powerful because I talk about that. That was my mistake that I made is I didn't want to hear the voice inside of me telling me that I was on the wrong path. Yeah. Yeah. And this was coincidentally (laughs) at that reunion, I hadn't launched my business yet. I was very insecure about even though I'd changed careers before and kind of knew I knew how to do it if I figured it out. I was just starting my business, wasn't at all sure it was going to work. And I think the fear of, oh, I might fail too, 
with this new big idea I have or big project business. I'd never run a business before was also thinking, oh, I'll take care of that fear. I'll just, I know what I'm doing and I'm going fast and I'm going forward and it's all happening. And, you know, it was that kind of, it was compulsive. So I wonder what comes up for me is that setup was a perfect universe gift of like you were receptive. You were in that, like you got lost in the moment initially, but you became aware you in a way stepped away and were the observer of this human version of you. But there was something deeper in you that was making you wake up to that. Yes. And I think when we get that to be that age, I don't know if you find this, but when I got to be that age at my 30th reunion, is when I woke up to the fact that I didn't want to be married anymore to my husband. And that 30th reunion was a trigger for me getting separated like within two months. So going through what that woman was going through, probably if somebody said, although in that moment of the reunion, I don't think I knew that it was kind of after the fact but yeah, I love that that guy did that and had you guys think. I love that he did it too. And funnily enough, we just had our 35th in May, last May, and we didn't do it again, though we had resolved to, but he didn't come. And I actually think if he had, it might have happened because he was the instigator, the catalyst for that. But it was a lovely moment. It was a moment for all of us, I think. And I think everybody had their own kind of personal freak out, except maybe the one who's doing more CrossFit because she's, you know, she's got it sorted out. But I think for me, it was stop, stop going so fast and so furious and figure out what you really want to do and, and invest in this new thing you're creating, which was this business, which has turned out to be the best thing in my life in terms of professionally by so far in 35, I've been working out 36 years, whatever it is since I was 22. It was an amazing thing. But at the time I, I, I was like, it was analogous in that I didn't have it nailed down yet. I didn't quite know what it was or what form it would take if it would work. And I think I was dealing with that anxiety by just thinking, I'll just do more and more and more. And that forced me to say, no, no, let's lean into this because this is my new definition professionally. And I did. And it worked. And that was great. And then I think equally the person with the marriage issue and the person who was overwhelmed by health things and what other, you know, everybody had their own kind of aha moment there. That just happened to be mine. Yeah. And I think for me, just to get clear, because leaving a marriage is a different kind of goal than starting a business. Yeah. But I think it all comes down to finding ourselves. Yeah. Finding ourselves. And I felt like, and when, in, in your position, when you're seeking, you're happily married, but you're seeking an outlet that better defines who you are and what you love, that's finding your authenticity. And for me, I knew I was with the wrong partner. I knew that I was living, I wasn't living who I was supposed to be in that partnership. And so in a way, they're very much similar because it's all a part of finding your path to your truest version. Yes. Yes, exactly. And I would say one thing which you've said a couple times already, which I totally agree with is I couldn't have done that in my 20s. I suspect or when I don't know when you got married the first time, but 22 or you're 30. Okay, great. 
you couldn't have had the wisdom and the experience and, and the knowledge and the self-confidence and the chutzpah or whatever it was, combination of factors that enabled you to do that and have that realization. Neither could I in my 20s. I was just, let me define myself professionally like this. Well, then it changed a few times, but it was never right. And the, the analogy I like to give is I felt like I was wearing a costume for like 35 years. I mean, they were different costumes, but every costume was not me. It was like I went into the office with a mask on and I did my best and I worked hard and I made friends. But I was like, who is this person? It is not me. And I'm sure you felt, I mean, I don't presume to know your marriage, but I'm sure at a certain point, and it probably wasn't 30 years in, maybe earlier, you started to feel, this isn't me. Well, I'm performing yeah, this. Or, yeah. 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 And so I think, I mean, to me, the beauty of midlife is that wisdom, which comes from it's trite, but it comes from all the mistakes. I'm not saying your marriage was a mistake or my career's a mistake. I learned a lot in them. I'm sure you yes. did too, but yeah. but they were not the right ones for me. And I feel so much more comfortable with who I am now professionally. And it is a huge part of my identity. So thank goodness I sorted it out. <laughs> yeah. I love your costume analogy because it's so many of us are afraid to take that costume off. Or we yeah. feel like, oh my gosh, I can't take it off because what will people think if I put another costume on? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and, it's and, such you know, a good analogy. And that's why most people who call me for advice are stuck in a career that looks good on paper, but they don't feel authentic or fulfilled or self-actualized or any number of things. And I'm sure a lot of people who possibly have come to you over the years or in the last 10 years or whenever to talk about their marriages feel like they're performing something that they can't let go of, but actually they know they're miserable, but they, they can't take that step. So yes, I'm hundred percent with you. And thank God we, or thank goodness, we have these epiphanies from time to time. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're hard one. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because I think it, when I first started coaching, you know, you want to help everybody. And I think that I can help people in many ways, but it wasn't until I started working with people that I realized ultimately it all came down to living who you are meant to be living. It doesn't matter what job you have. It doesn't matter marriage, happy, marriage, not happy, job, happy, job, not whatever it is. Who are you? And do you even know? Do you even have you even taken time to stop the busy and to get quiet and really know who you are, what you value, and what you're passionate about. And people don't know. Then you can figure out why you're unhappy about this and why you're happy about this. But there's such a disconnect about all the external and what's internal. And I think yeah, we, and we then, get curious then, at, at a certain age. We're finally like, okay. <laughs> absolutely. And then you add kids to the mix. Dory Clark, who's a writer, she writes for Harvard Business Review, and she's done a lot of books on productivity and career change and a whole bunch of, she's great. But she had a book called White Space, or she had a book, sorry, it wasn't about what, it has a chapter called White Space. And I just grabbed at that concept of finding the white space where you do turn off the metaphorical phones and you turn off the lights and sit with yourself and deal with the fear and ask yourself the hard questions and think about the goals and finding white space when you have kids, I don't care what age they are, is very, very hard. For some reason, for me, 
it was when my daughter, after she got into high school, high school, you get in, it starts much earlier here. So it starts at 11. At that point, because she had seven years in high school, secondary school, that was the for me the moment where I thought, right, I can do this now. Something about that, I think, in my head created, even though, you know, we remained as busy as ever, but something it created. I didn't have to think about, oh, wait, we still have to get into high school. It was more like, okay, now she's somewhere for seven years. She's parked. And I, I don't know, for me, and I've had other friends, they wait, usually it's till college or after to figure it out, but it doesn't matter when it happens. It's just when you, when you know when it's time to, to create that white space. Yeah, it's funny because I think that I loved being a mom so much and I had a full-time job, but the time I spent being a mom and I was involved in a lot of their activities, I was very lucky I could do that. I didn't have a job that necessarily took that away from me. I was always very adamant that I'm not going to miss a game. I'm not going to miss an event. I did chaperoned a lot of field trips, et cetera. And I loved that so much and I kind of got lost in it. And yeah. so when it ended, it was like my life ended. Yeah. And yes. I, yeah. And so I think not understanding why that happens and what I came to learn and realize is that why I love to help people so much is that mom in me, <laughs> it, you know, there's a parallel there. I love guiding people to light bulb moments and helping them with something that I think I can help with. And I was the younger sister. I wasn't the big bossy sister. So just trying to give ideas. I remember I had a college roommate and she was at her wits end because she was doing business classes and she hated business classes. And she was spending hours about like, what am I going to do? I'm a failure. I don't, there's nothing I want to do. And so I just remember I had this amazing teacher who was, what did they call it? Distributed, distributive education is what they call mm. it in the U.S. And it's like teaching kids different things. One was a fashion teacher. I'm not a fashionista by any stretch, but it was like a fashion class. And she took us to New York on a business trip. I mean, like we went to New York and she set up all these things and she makes it was more of like what today would probably be a class in entrepreneurship mm -hmm. as kind of what it would be like. And I remember thinking she would be really good at teaching at the, in, in business, you know, she likes business, but she doesn't want to take all the business classes. And when I think about it, I was like, that was my first coaching moment yeah. way back when I didn't even know what I was doing. I just wanted to help my friend figure out and have an idea or just like brainstorm with her. And so I think these, these little moments that we overlook in our life where what we're passionate about and what is we're innately meant to do surfaces but we disregard it. We don't know it. We, we disregard them. And it's all about paying attention. I think you had an episode about this and it's, and I do this every year. It's like, look back every year and think, what did I really get energy from? Not just people, but what was fun? What did I look forward to? Yes. And pay attention. Your coaching moment. I've had similar moments, probably 20 years before I actually am doing what I'm doing now because I didn't pay attention to them. But if you actually are aware and thinking, ooh, I really liked that. Ooh, ooh, I didn't enjoy that at all. 
And when you're young, you don't have as much freedom to do only stuff that you like and minimize the stuff you don't. But as you get older, you do get more, usually depends on your job, but you certainly get the wisdom and hopefully the opportunity to do a little of that. Paying attention to, oh, that was an aha moment for me in helping somebody else and I could be coaching other people. And same for me when I was at the BBC, which was my previous job, when I was leaving, I think there was a questionnaire or something that said, reflect on your favorite days at the BBC. All of mine were where I was giving workshops or taking them every single, that was five days out of 500. So what did that tell me? I loved that environment of interaction and coaching and teaching and learning and collect in groups and performing and sharing. And it was such a tiny part of my job that I was like, you need to bring this into the next. I didn't know what it was yet, but I just thought, pay attention to that. Five out of 500, that is a tiny amount. And yet you're thinking that was great. So yeah, I think pay attention to the things you really like. Don't, and that give you energy and move toward those. Yeah, I so agree. I would love for you to share the part in your article that where it was really the message about maker and manager and that these Uh, like two parts of you, because that is something that I think a lot of moms who are dealing with navigating new space where their kids are grown and, and even going into retirement, you had a job where you might have had a lot of the manager yeah. side of you. And then like, yeah. how do you learn how to be a maker? How do you get into that space when you haven't done it before? And I just did a podcast episode about finding that creative part of you. And yeah. busyness completely eliminates that too. So, right so yeah, I love your perspective yeah. on, on that was kind of the the gist of the article and your realization of why you were going to all the like so many goals on your list. Yeah. So the, this idea of manager and maker, which I absolutely love and have written about at different points in my life, it actually, I stole it, the concept from a guy called Paul Graham, who is a Silicon Valley guy who happens to be brilliant and not who happened, who is also brilliant and has written these blogs. And what I love about it is it's so old school. You go to his website and it looks like something that was created in like 2006 and never updated, but it doesn't matter because the man is a genius and he's so wise. But anyway, he wrote a post that was, it's an old post, but I stumbled upon it through somebody else at some point. And he said, there are basically two kinds of people in the world. There are the man, and he's thinking of Silicon Valley, but it applies. There are the managers who, who compartmentalize their day into little tiny bite-sized 30 minutes here and they're scheduling constantly and it's all very discreet and tractable and organized and structured. And that, that's how they get their work done and they do a lot of meetings. And then you have the makers, again, thanks Silicon Valley. These are the people who are inventing and they're at Google and they're super creative and maybe they're making the new AI, whatever. And they need they can't do anything in half an hour or even two hours. They need four or five hour blocks of creative time and the gist of his article was, how do you run a workspace that maximizes the skills of both so that you don't, you know, inf- you get stuff done, but you don't infringe on the creative time that the makers need. But what I took from the article was something very different, which is I'm both. I'm not one. And I think that's true of a lot of people, but we're expected to be one. So 
yes, I'm a project manager and being a mom, I really honed that skill and getting them here and getting swim class and dinner and, oh my goodness, and a teacher meeting and all, we all know that stuff. That's the project manager. The maker for me, and I think for you too, is the writer, the podcaster, the artist out there, the painter. And finding a job that does both is really hard. I think through my life, I had periods where I was either in one box or the other and very unhappy because the other one, I need both. I love both. Everybody the does. Other one wasn't, everybody does, but I wasn't getting the oxygen for the other side. And so I would feel either a wash in, oh, I'm in between jobs. I don't know what I'm doing myself. I'm just so creative and feeling like at sea and then like making dinner became my project. And then there were times when I was in a job that was very project management with young kids. And it was like, where's my creative self? The way I've squared that circle, but everyone has their own. And I suspect you've done the same, Lori, is I consider myself to have a portfolio career in the sense that most of my day is spent. Well, my job now is kind of a mix of two because I have to design things and create things and have meanings and structure, but also there'll be large chunks of time like today where I'm designing a workshop, which for me is very creative. Like, what do they need to know? How do I invent an exercise that actually elicits this instead of that? I don't want to tell them something. I want them to learn something. So I have a job that now allows for both. And I write every morning. So every morning I spend an hour writing and it doesn't matter if that's five in the morning or six in the morning or whatever. It's usually quite early. At least I start the day knowing I got the ma- the man, even if I have a day of management, the maker got her, she got her hour and she will then. So people square that circle differently. That's how I square it. My job lends itself. I have a space for writing, but I think people get trapped in those roles and then they feel terrified or or just trapped. They can't get out. So I think it's integrating. Yeah. Yeah. I think that you have realized the value of making. I think managers are so caught up in managing they don't even know the value of making. They look at it because managers are all about managing their time. They look at it as a time suck. That it, it's usurping yeah. time that I could be You're doing. Wasting time. Yes, yes. And for me, what I've learned, because I'm the queen of finding things to do and the gaps of time, and I also would take pride in it. Like, oh, I'm yeah. a multitasker. Yeah. Yay me. And it was keeping me from really learning a lot about myself. And in the making space is where understanding is. It's where knowledge is. It's You have knowledge. You have endless knowledge inside of you that is untapped because you are totally ignoring. You're suppressing it all because of the managing. And not you, just I'm speaking to the person who this is resonating with. And dreams reside in the making space. And I didn't dream for so long. I didn't have dreams. I was too busy to have dreams. Yeah, You know, I'll get the stuff done. And I I always say this too, is I haven't said it for quite some time is my goals were my company goals. It was all about what the company wants, what getting evaluated in a corporate environment it's like, these are your goals that align with the company's objectives and for the year and the mission that all cascades down to the individual employee. That was the extent of my goals. I didn't ever go outside that space. So what's your personal life? What do you want it to be? Yeah. And we get so bogged down with work and our work yeah. life 
that that overtakes us. Oh, no, absolutely. And then also a lot of, and I have had that manager hat for a while, for many years, and you have too. You also, what I also realized was not just manager at work, maker outside, but also bring the maker into the work. Yeah. In my case, I created my job, so I was able to do that. But if you're in a job, and I imagine all many of the listeners are, and they think, ah, there's no, think about and think with your line manager. How could you make this more creative? Maybe you run a workshop once a month for other employees, at least you're, you know, and you're sharing, or maybe you, you're writing an article. But I always say to people, like, take initiative. Don't let, as you, I'm like you, don't let it all come top down. Push back and say, I'm also a creative person. I also write. I also can speak. I can teach. I can do workshops. And Find it, create the space in the job or outside if that's fine for you. you yeah, know? I love that. And that also comes from the top down too. That has to be reinforced. My daughter yeah. works for a small company. She's fortunate because it's harder to do in larger environments, but they have a no meeting Wednesday. <laughs> so I like that Fabulous. is great. That is honored time yeah. to, to do the making. So yeah. yeah, I think that's really, really valuable. Well, Time has flown. I have enjoyed every minute of this. We're clearly both very passionate about this. Thank you for writing that article. Thank you for reading it. Yes. And you have a great website in terms of great content in your articles you. that you've written with your blog. So I encourage people to go to the realdelia.com or is it just realdelia? It's or just realdelia.com. realdelia.com. Yeah. And we didn't even get to the topic of how you ended up in England and London. Another and conversation. Another conversation. But yeah, she went there for her husband's job. <laughs> That's the <laughs> short answer. Yeah, yeah. Short answer. But she's been there uh, 18, 18 years. Yeah, 18 yeah. years. Yes. So she considers herself. She's a citizen now. And yeah, a real, a real UK patriot. Yes, I love that. So yeah, maybe we'll have to have you back. There's so many different articles that were compelling in terms of the topics. And so I think it's uh, a great resource for people who want to, if they like this conversation, I'm sure they'll find other stuff that is very valuable too. So I'm going to go digging. I can tell you that much. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for that plug. Thanks. Thanks for and being thanks here. Thanks so much for, thanks for having me, Laura. Yes. It's an absolute pleasure. All righty. 